It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so while somebody chased after the love of money, it said that they have uh, uh, strayed from the faith and they've pierced themselves through with a whole lot of sorrow. That's not worth it. And uh, the Bible also talks about in Hebrews, another example of this in the negative, the idea of the seed gets planted, the seed takes root, the seed grows up, the seed produces fruit. Uh, uh, Hebrews talks about what's called the root of bitterness. And it says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. So, you know, we, we, don't want, we don't want the blessing in reverse. The blessing in reverse is a curse. You don't want that. <laughs> you, you want the blessing in, in drive and the blessing in overdrive. You don't want the blessing in reverse. But, but one thing that we need to understand right from the start is that in, in the idea of under, talking about the process of planting seed, one thing that God is very picky about and uh, necessarily so is, is that the kind of ground in which the seed is getting sown has a whole lot to do with the success of the harvest. Uh, the kind of seed, I mean, the kind of ground that the seed is getting planted in has a whole lot to do with whether you can maximize your fruitfulness, which is what we're talking about here. So God's not only interested in getting the right seed planted in you, which will result in good fruit, but God is also interested in removing the root of bad seed that's been sown in you. Things that have resulted in bad fruit in your life. God is interested in doing a little chop chop. Just like Matthew chapter 3 records the words of John the Baptist where he said, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So uh, it's time to say chop chop to some things in your life that, that some of that underbrush, uh, some of what, what I would say, things that have grown up in times past that's competing for the soil Be, because, you know, it, it's competing for the soil rather than the soil being uh, uh, fully dedicated for all the trees that God wants to grow. If you've got weeds and, and poison ivy and, and and other kind of things that are growing up and competing for the nourishment of the soil, you know, that, that's a problem. Because we don't want anything competing with the stuff that God wants growing in your garden. You want to be free and clear of old stuff, old ways of thinking. My goodness. As a matter of fact, several things that, that, that I really have had on my heart, but, but one thing in particular that I believe that the, the body of Christ needs to be freed from is mindsets of a lack of worthiness in the sight of God. A mindset that, that I'm not worthy to, to receive from God. I'm not worthy to, uh, to uh, partake of God's blessings in my life. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's subtle. 
And, and I, I want to go ahead and explain this to you. Uh, it, it is very important for you to realize that the, uh, uh, how can I put it? Oh, yes, th- this is a good way to put it. So, so if I'm thinking of myself as being a, uh, a child of God who is inferior to others. You know, I, I'm like looking at the highlights in everybody else's Bible and I'm looking at the, the fancy way somebody else lifts their hands in church, but I'm not realizing, uh, you, you know, I, I'm not looking at their, their life behind closed doors. I'm not thinking about what's happening when they're not here. I'm just looking at what I see. I'm judging by what I see. And so I'm thinking that they got it all together and they were really doing good. And then there's me. And so, you know, they're worthy and God's doing great things for them. And then there's me. But I got to tell you, I want to declare war tonight on this sense of unworthiness. Because it is not the will of God in any way. It is not the will of God in any way for us to have this sense of unworthiness that would keep us from enjoying the fullness of the blessings of God. You know, ain't nothing can make you worthy. You know, you, you trying to be good is not going to make you worthy. We are worthy by the blood of the Lamb. We are worthy because we have received God's free gift of righteousness. Hallelujah. And so therefore, because of that, we can stand worthy in his sight. You're not worthy because you're cute. You might be cute, but that's not why you're worthy. You, you, you're not worthy because you're in church on Wednesday night. You're not worthy because you're in church on Sunday morning or you even went to some extra meetings. No, you're worthy because of the blood. You're worthy because you've received a free gift. He, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay and I needed someone to wash my sins away. Come on. So God did for you what you could never ever do for yourself. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I want to take a quick look here because in this context of talking about mindsets that need to be torn down and removed out of the way so that you can maximize the fruit that's growing on God's trees in your garden. Uh, interesting to note the the calling that God had for the prophet Jeremiah. You won't see it? Check this out. This is Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. And this just says it so well. This is God speaking to Jeremiah as a, as a child, really. He said, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now, God actually sent the prophet for this purpose. And if you notice, there's more words in the verse, in the verse that describe the undoing of the bad seeds, more so than describing the need to build and plant. Isn't that interesting? that God would actually emphasize a little bit more the clearing out of the stuff that needs to be cleared out so that there would be nothing to, to compete with and nothing to hinder the success of the good stuff that God's planting in your garden. Hallelujah. 
We know in the New Testament, we see the emphasis on getting things pulled out of the way, especially when it comes to, uh, uh, to, to the idea of our thoughts and our mind that, that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God for what purpose? For the purpose of pulling down strongholds, for the purpose of casting down imaginations, and for the purpose of bringing uh, 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 every high thing uh, 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 that, that is exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ to have that uh, be able to stand the, the bouncer test where you got the bouncer at the door of your mind and you say, all right, are you lining up with obeying Christ and are you agreeing with God? If yes, you can come in. If no, you are not allowed entrance. So, so some of y'all need to go ahead and get, get that big muscular bouncer ready to go for your mind, you know. Say, so we, we ain't having this. You know, uh, we, we got Philippians 4.8. That, that's the invitation to the party right there. Whatsoever things are pure, hey, whatsoever things are lovely. Yeah, you invited to the party. If you ain't on the list, you ain't coming in. Praise the Lord. Come on now. So, so uh, 2 Corinthians 10 really gives us that kind of uh, sense that, that, that we can uh, pull down strongholds, cast down imaginations that, that would exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Bring thoughts into uh, captivity to the obedience of Christ. Why is that a necessity? Because we got to get junk out. You see, your spirit's a new creation in Christ, but your mind can still be very unrenewed. Especially when it comes to thinking of, thinking ways about God that is not accurate. And that's something that I have a very deep passion about. As a matter of fact, Maybe three or four years ago, I did a, a, a series on Wednesday night called Don't You Talk About My Daddy That Way. And, and, and it was based on the idea of people that uh, uh, have ways of thinking, traditional ways of thinking, like grandma used to say and grandpa used to say and reverend so-and-so used to say, and have ways of thinking about God where you, you would never think about people in those terms. As a matter of fact, if you knew somebody, your next door neighbor, there was something like what people have been telling you God is like, you would call DCYF on them. You would say, you know, we got a child abuse in the neighborhood. Because people with their mentality about God is that God's doing stuff to his kids that he is not doing to his kids. Are you with me tonight? So you see, those can be some of those old mindsets that just need to be taken down. Or as the founder of the, this house used to say, uh, those are some sacred cows that need to get ground up and become hamburger. All right. You know, some sacred cows, sacred old ways of thinking, you know, that just got to go. Thank you, Lord. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about using faith to pluck up trees by the roots. You know, he said, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea. So I would say to you tonight, let's use our faith. Faith, Christian Center. Let's use our faith to uproot things. Let's use our faith to get things out that need to be out. To go ahead and call things out that need to be called out. Call something what it is. Hallelujah. If it's old stinking thing that doesn't agree with God, Call it what it is. Hallelujah. 
and, uh, and, and in its place, you can go ahead and get good seed planted. Hallelujah. You get the old stuff out, plant the good seed, and let that go ahead and flourish in your garden. Amen. Now, Jesus said about one of his parables that if you get this one, you get all the others too. I wonder which one. <laughs> you know, he's talking about the parable of the sower. And I want to read Matthew's rendering of that together right now. This is Matthew chapter 13. And we'll go ahead and start with verse 18. And this is Jesus. He already told the story, the, the parable. And now he's elaborating on the meaning of the parable. So verse 18 to Matthew 13. Jesus said, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, I want you to notice here that ground conditions were the biggest enemy of the seed's success. The ground conditions were the biggest enemies of the seed's success in maximizing fruitfulness. There was nothing wrong with the seed. What was the sower sowing? What kind of seed was he sowing? The sower was sowing the word. As a matter of fact, Mark chapter 4, I believe the rendering there just clearly makes that statement. The sower sows the word. So therefore, if the seed is the word, there's nothing wrong with the seed because there's nothing wrong with the word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. His word is the uh, everlasting, incorruptible glory to God. When everything else fails, the word's still standing. Nothing wrong with the seed. But the various kinds of ground had the same seed scattered over it and had different results because of different people's heart conditions. Different people's heart conditions. All right? So that's not a reflection on the seed. That's a reflection on the ground. Oh, somebody say amen right there. So we know this, that in Mark 4, 24, Jesus said, take heed what you hear. So that means pay attention to the seed. But he also said in Luke 8, verse 18, therefore take heed how you hear. So you need to take heed, take heed to what you hear, take heed to how you hear. Take heed to what you hear is... Be careful about the seed. Make sure that what you're hearing is the seed of the word of God. But take heed how you hear. Oh, that has something to do with the ground that the seed is being planted on. 
how you hear is very, very important. So we need to take heed not only to what kind of seed we allow to be planted in our heart, but also to the condition of the ground that the seed is being planted on. Here's a verse that we alluded to three weeks ago, but I got to tell you, this is just amazing. And, uh, and I, I'm going there again because just got to. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. And it says, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So just so you understand the context, he's talking about, uh, uh, the, you know how the children of Israel had a promise to enter into their rest, which for them was to enter into the promised land? Well, there is a promised land for the children of God. There, there's a promised land for the children of God to enter, a place of rest for the children of God to enter into. And some of them did not make it to the promised land. They wandered in the wilderness and did not make it to the promised land. And one of the big reasons why they didn't make it is because God said they could, but they said and they believed that they could not. They absolutely disagreed with God, were at odds with God. The same promise was made to everybody. The same promise was made to all the children of Israel. But you had those who said, yes, we can. And you had those who said, no, we can't. And the ones that said, no, we can't, couldn't. And the ones that said, yes, we can, did. Imagine that. Now, let's go to verse 2 now. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So you see, they all heard the same word, all had the same promise of being able to enter into their rest, their promised land. Some got it, some didn't. Now, in modern religious way of thinking, you'd hear a lot, well, must, must have been the will of God for some and not the will of God for others. To which I say, hogwash. Forget about that. That's not true. The same word was told to everybody. And the thing that impacted whether they did or not was not God's will in the matter because God's will was the same for everybody. The thing that impacted it is that some mixed faith with what they heard and some did not. And so those who did not, the Bible literally says, and you got to look at this. The word which they heard did not profit them. So that, that's saying the same thing as the parable of the sower, that the sower sowed the word, though the word was put out there, and there were certain kinds of ground, certain kinds of heart ground, that just the, the seed did not take there. Had nothing to do with the seed. Had something to do with the ground. Well, same thing here. The, the word not profiting them is not a reflection on the word. The word not profiting them is uh, a reflection on how they heard. There was a missing ingredient with what they heard. They heard it, but they did not mix faith with it. As a matter of fact, you, you know the, the power of the word amen? Amen means so be it. As a matter of fact, uh, in, in the Greek language, if you look at... Uh, 
the, the word truly, truly I say unto you, or verily, verily I say unto you. If you were to read that in Greek, you'd be reading amen, amen I say unto you. So when you say amen, you're saying truly. You're saying verily. And, and, and uh, uh, when we say amen to the word of God, we're, we're, we're literally saying God said it and that's right. Truly it is. I don't want to ever be at odds with God's word. I, I, I don't want to be in a position where, where the, the word is saying something directly to me. And, and rather than saying, amen, I'm saying, yeah, but. Like I told you in our, our, first, uh, uh, our, our first message along these lines, if you're saying, yeah, but, you need to get your butt in the right place. And say, but God, hallelujah, glory to God. Uh, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, talking about ground here, and we'll get to that in a minute, but there are several places in the scripture that, that talk about breaking up fallow ground or, or that well, one place where God said, indeed, I am for you and I will turn to you. You shall be tilled and sown. So there's tilling that takes place. There's plowing that takes place. There's preparation of the ground and then sowing of the seed. So what can we do? The prophet Hosea gives some good instructions here. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Glory to God. You can break up your fallow ground, the preparation of the ground. You can go ahead and seek the Lord. And in the seeking of the Lord, you're allowing the Lord to go ahead and plant the things that he wants to plant in your life. And then what happens after that comes the rains of righteousness and allows that seed that got planted in that fallow ground to grow up and produce good fruit. Whoa, hallelujah. That's great. Praise God. Now, I want to look at this here um, over in the book of James. And, and once again, you see this whole idea of preparing the ground and, and, and that, that there would be a, 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 a work that would go on to remove stuff that would hinder the success of the seed before the good stuff gets planted in that uh and in that ground that's been tilled, that's been uh, uh, broken up, and that's been plowed and, and ready, been made ready and made prepared for seed to be sown in it. James 1.21, this is huge. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, all the old stuff, all the stuff that's not doing you any good. And do what? Receive with meekness. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, so we're getting rid of the old stuff. And then it says, receive with meekness. Last night, I couldn't get off that word meekness. And it's just rolling and rolling and rolling around. And receiving with meekness talks about not just that you're receiving uh, the seed, but you're receiving the seed in a certain way, in a certain fashion, in a certain manner. That has a whole lot to do with the success of the whole process. 
Because when you receive with meekness the implanted word, the implanted word which is able to save your souls, that's when you get the maximum benefit. Receiving with meekness, what, what does the Bible even indicate about that? Well, Jesus said something that was very familiar to us. He said that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. So the idea of receiving as a little child, I want to go ahead and tell you tonight, is connected to receiving with meekness. Because a little child, how does a little child receive something? If you tell a little child, I got something for you, and this is going to go ahead and do this, and if you take this and apply it in a certain way or do a certain thing with it, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen. This is the kind of results you're going to get. You know what the child says? Cool. Let's do it. Because what does a child do? A little child will believe what's told them. See, how many? I've not met a whole lot of cynical children. How about you? You might say I met a whole lot of gullible children, but a whole, not a whole lot of cynical children. But the thing is, is that with God... You don't have to worry about being gullible or naive. Now, you need to exercise some discretion when you're dealing with some crazy people. But with God, you don't have to exercise any kind of uh, uh, discretion on saying, well, uh, does God really mean that or is he just messing with me? No, God's not messing with you. God's word is his word. His yes is his yes. His statement is his statement, and there, there's no working around it. He said what he said. When it comes to God, you can be gullible. You can eat up every word he said, because every word he said is truth. God's word is truth. If God said the, the grass is orange, don't even bother looking outside. It's orange. Because it's, when God says it, it's true. So, understand this, that the idea of receiving with meekness the word is connected to the idea of receiving the kingdom of God as a little child. Or even like Peter said in the first Peter 2, 1 to 2, talking about laying aside malice and deceit and hypocrisy and all that stuff. And as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word so that you can grow thereby. Hallelujah. And I tell you, that, that's just a, a beautiful picture of, of the fact that, that we, in our approach to God, in, in our uh, approach to his word, that, that we're, we're not going ahead and having this approach as to say, you know, it's like a baby saying to mama, you know, I don't know about that milk that, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's what I need. No, babies aren't talking to mama and saying, I don't know if I need that or not. Very simply, very openly, just receiving. Just taking it in. Not questioning, not doubting, not wondering. So the idea of receiving with meekness the implanted word as you just take it like it comes. Take it like it's been spoken. Take it like it's been said. It, it, you know, God said it. That's all I need. Not trying to talk yourself out of it. Not trying to wonder. Not trying to say, well, I know God said that, but. 
No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, uh, let me read the, the, this is the message translation of the same verse we just read, um, James 1.21, but, but it's, it's a lot of fun in the message. It says, uh, so throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. Now listen to this. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word making a salvation garden of your life. Hallelujah. Simple humility. I'm just going to go ahead and let God, my gardener, landscape me with his word. Hallelujah. You know, I, I love another translation that says, uh, welcome the word. That, that I'm just welcoming the word. I'm not fighting it. I'm not trying to overthink it or underthink it. I'm really not trying to uh, you know, I'm not telling you to throw your brain out, but I'm really not looking to think about it at all. Except to say, if God said it, I can absolutely take that to the bank. If, God words, if God's word says that, I can go ahead and just rest in that. Just rest in the fact that he said it. Take it in. Take it in as my own. And, and just be at peace. Praise God. You know, uh... There's another rendering of this verse that says, uh, take into your souls the word without pride. Take into your souls the word without pride. You see, pride is the thing that we're trying to, uh, as 2 Corinthians 10 talks about, uh, things that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Things that would uh, uh, say, yeah, I know that, but what about this? But, but when, when you get the pride out there and it's just simple humility, it's just the little child in you, the, the, the little childlike faith in you saying, Daddy, you say it's so, then it's so. And that's, that's the end of the discussion. Praise God. So I, I call it the... the uh, uh, th- th- this is important. It's the recognition that the word is superior to any thoughts and ideas that you have. Because the problem has been, and oh, we can all look in the mirror and think of moments like this. The problem has been where we have thought of our own thoughts and ideas as being equal to the word. And in some cases, superior to the word, but that's not the way things ought to be. No, we view the word as superior to our own thoughts. We view the word as superior to our own ideas. And that is the thing. That's the way you got to receive the word. This is talking about a a heart ground issue. This is talking about the way you receive. If you don't receive the word that way, then you minimize your fruitfulness. You're not maximizing it. Now, if we can do this, let's go ahead and do a side-by-side examination of the types of ground in the parable of the sower. And then there's uh, certain elements that, that one gospel writer might have emphasized and another gospel writer might have emphasized. And so we're just kind of putting them together here. So the idea of the wayside ground, Matthew showed that the, in that kind of ground, that the 
enemy can steal the seed of the word when it's not understood. All right? So therefore, the idea of us immediately meditating on it, immediately putting it into practice, is eliminating the opportunity for the enemy to steal it. You know, the, the idea that we're going to go ahead and take it, and even if we don't fully get it right away, we're going to keep it turning, keep it turning, keep it turning. Keep, keep on. I, I mean, you, you know, we don't have any excuse technology, man, if you miss something, you can go ahead and keep on listening to it and say, Lord, there's something there I need to get. There's something there I need to get. I'm going to listen to that again. And then you get a little bit more light and a little bit more light. And and, and you know what? I'm I'm going to get here in a few minutes if I have time, but real disciples are inquisitive anyway. You know, people that say I'm hungry for God and I want to grow in God and don't ever ask questions. I'm going to slap you. Come on now. <laughs> so we, we see this idea of the wayside ground. And, and the, the, that's, that's where the enemy seeks to steal. But, but, but if you immediately meditate on the word and seek to put the word into practice, you're not allowing him that opportunity. Stony ground. That's where the hearer receives the word with joy and gladness, but they don't have any root. So they endure only for a little while, or they believe only for a little while. And then tribulation, persecution, affliction, time of temptation come. And why does it come? It comes because of the word. It comes because of the word. And what happens? They get offended and fall away. And I just, as I read that, I thought of one case in the book of Malachi that, that, that could very well illustrate this idea of being offended. And, and of being offended when it comes to the word. So you've got God who just talked about tithing in Malachi chapter 3. Talked about bringing all the tithes into the storehouse. And, and, and I'll open up the, the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you don't even have room to contain. And... And, and so at first God's saying to the people uh, uh, that, that, that they've robbed him. And Lord, how have we robbed you? And God said, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. But then God said, your words are against me or your words are stout against me. Well, Lord, how, how are our words against you? And, and, and the Lord said this in Malachi three fourteen: You have said that it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So you see, one of the biggest tricks of the enemy, and, and it, he loves using it because it works, is to get somebody to be offended and to say, well, I thought that I should have been here by now and I thought I should have had this by now. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't look like it's working. And so I'm going to go ahead and take the stand that it's been useless to serve God and, and, and not profited me at all to keep his ordinances. And then you've got the, the, well, the enemy has you at that point right where he wants you. Because that being offended 
because of these trials and hard times that come up because of the word. So you see, if you stick with the word, you, you, you get through, you make it to the other side. But if you give up on the word, then you say, well, that stuff doesn't work and you get offended. And what happens? You end up not having any fruit to show for it. Come on now. And I thought that that was a real good example because people said, well, I've been serving God and I've been doing this and going to church and all that. What do I have to show for it? Y'all ever heard anybody say that before? See, that's the, the voice of someone who's offended and offended because tribulation and other stuff from the enemy came to uh, uh, because of the word. It came uh, because it's threatened by the word. I mean, if, if this word takes, we're in trouble. If, if, if this seed takes, then they're going to go ahead and be our worst nightmare. We can't allow that to happen. So the enemy is doing everything he can to keep that seed of the word from taking. Because if the seed takes and it grows and it produces all the fruit that it's capable of producing, oh, he's hurting for certain. Come on now. Thorny ground. That's when the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in. Now, you can have all of those things coming against you and still be fruitful. What causes the unfruitfulness here is that not that they came against a person, but that they entered in. Key words there. When they enter in, that caused unfruitfulness. And it said, this chokes the word and they become unfruitful. And it's interesting there, that term become unfruitful. That means you might've had some buds, some sprouts, some things starting to show signs of fruit. But then because of these things allowed to enter in, it became unfruitful where you may have signs of fruit at first, but then it ended up becoming unfruitful because of allowing those things to enter in. Now, Luke said something very interesting. He said that in this case, they brought no fruit to perfection, or you might say they brought no fruit to completion. And what kind of God do we serve? We serve a God who's an author and a finisher. God don't start projects and leave them half done. I mean, you know, it, the, the, the whole rescue of mankind would not have worked with half an ark. Come on now. <laughs> so we know this, that God is a, uh, he's a completer. Uh, he who has begun a good work in you mm, will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. God's a completer. He doesn't leave things half done. So the whole idea of the way God does it. You see, when, when the enemy comes in, he'll go ahead and, and cause fruit not to be brought forth to completion. But when you do things God's way and when you have ground that is prepared according to his instructions and according to, 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 uh, uh, according to the way that, that, that he said it needed to be done so you can have the kind of results he said he wants you to have. Then, rather than fruit not going all the way through to the finish line, you've got fruit that is brought through to completion and is ready and ripe for the picking. Hallelujah. Now, good ground 
is the secret to the seed of success. Good ground is the secret to the seed's success. And whether or not your heart is good ground or not, it is not up to God, it is not up to the devil, and not up to the annoying co-worker. Praise the Lord, it's up to you. It is absolutely up to you. So I'm going to look at the three verses that talk about the good ground and the fruit that came out of the good ground out of Matthew's rendering of this parable, Mark's rendering, and Luke. All right? First of all, Matthew 13, 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. One interesting thing about the, the Greek word for understand there is it actually means to put together. To put together. So someone who understands the word puts things together. Someone who understands the word, shall we say it like this, gets to connect the dots. Hallelujah. So that's a very significant thing that, uh, that if you want to go ahead and bear fruit, it's important not just to hear a sermon and say, la di da di da praise the Lord. Now we can go home and eat ice cream. No, no. Uh, it, it's the idea of understanding and taking the time to understand. Because we already read that the enemy could steal the seed when someone did not understand the word. So who's it up to whether you understand or not? What does Proverbs say? With all your getting, get understanding. You can go ahead and do what the disciples did. Woo, we'll get to that in a minute. Ask questions. Now, we, we look at Mark 4 and verse 20. It said, but these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Y'all got Mark 4, 20? These are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit. Some 30 fold, some 60 and some 100. And now we'll look at what Luke said. But the ones, this is Luke 8, 15, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart. Woo! Soil condition. Come on now. They heard it. They heard it with, with this kind of soil, noble and good heart. And then they keep it and they bear fruit with patience. Wow. Now, whoa, all right. Now, I, I, I think what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go ahead and skip over a few verses here to get to something I want to go ahead and get to. So I'm going to go ahead and skip over Proverbs and uh, that Colossians 1, 6 right now. But I want to talk to you about understanding the word. This is an important thing when it comes to the kind of ground that, uh, that, that our hearts need to be to, to get that 30, 60, and 100 fold that, that Jesus was talking about there. So to understand the word means to put it together. It means connect the dots. I said it already, and I'm going to go ahead and get into this right now, is that real disciples are inquisitive. 
Do you know that the disciples would come to Jesus and ask questions? Like, for instance, in Matthew, they came to him and asked, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? As a matter of fact, later on in Matthew, in the 24th chapter, it said they came to him privately saying, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So they were inquisitive disciples. Mark has some interesting things there. So in Mark chapter 7, it says, When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. You know, uh, one thing that has frustrated me as, as, a, uh, as, as someone looking to pastor people and help people and you know, bring people along in their spiritual walk is when you see somebody who says, You know what, I... Uh, I, I really, I really don't get that. I, I'm, I, I'm not where I need to be in that area. And then you talk to them a year later, and they still say the same thing: "I'm not where I need to be in that area," or "I don't know what I need to know in that area." And then you talk to them a, a few years later, and you still hear the same old thing. And you say, "Well, you know what? By your own testimony, you realize that this was a need. You realize that there was a deficiency years back." Are you just satisfied with having a deficiency in this area? Or do you want to learn and grow and gain wisdom and understanding in this area? Why just be satisfied there, you know, and and, and not making progress and not learning and not growing? I'll tell you, that's frustrating. But you see, these guys, they came and asked Jesus about stuff, (laughs) you know. When, when they, they had that, the, the, the son of that man and could not cast the devil out of him, you know what they did? They said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus told them exactly why. <laughs> uh, there was a, a, a multiple cases. If you look through the scripture, I just wrote down a few little references here. But the idea is that if the disciples did not understand the parable, they asked about the parable. If something didn't work the way it was supposed to work, they asked Jesus about it. Why aren't we inquisitive? Because if we're inquisitive, then we have the opportunity to grow. We have the opportunity to gain understanding. As I quoted a few minutes ago from the book of Proverbs, with all you're getting, get understanding. Because why? Because understanding, according to Matthew, is a key to you having fruit. Some of your 30, 60, and 100 fold fruit from the seed of the word being sown had was directly tied to understanding the word. Wow. Hallelujah. You know, um, uh, Mark used the term accepting the word. Well, that's a decision. That's not automatic. Uh, the idea of accepting the word, uh, the, the, the Greek word itself means to receive it, to take upon oneself. Or to admit, not not admit like to, I'm going to admit to this crime or admit to that, but to admit like movie admission. How many of you ever, you know, know the term admit or admission in that sense? Where, where that this says, we'll admit one. So, so the idea of accepting the word means I'm admitting the word or I'm allowing the word entrance. Hallelujah. 
And then you've got this. And we, I'm not going to go too, too late. We'll, we'll be able to go ahead and pick up some things in another time. But, but the idea of hearing the word with a good heart. If we can go ahead and wrap, wrap up somewhere tonight, we're going to go ahead and wrap up there. Hear the word with a good heart. Acts 17, 11. This is a verse that describes people from Berea. You might say, where's Berea? Well, you can look on the Bible map. But, but the, the, the idea is this. It's not having to do with their geography, but having to do with their practice that they had with how they received the word. Acts 17, 11, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So they were, they had a readiness to receive the word and they weren't just believing it because somebody said it's in the Bible. They looked in the Bible themselves, saw it in there and believed it, not just because they heard apostle so-and-so say it, but because they saw it in the word for themselves. You, you want to know how to be a, a, a receiver of the word that will produce good fruit, that will benefit you long term? Go ahead, be that kind of receiver of the word. Receive it with all readiness. And don't take anybody's word for it. See it in the word for yourself. Hallelujah. First Thessalonians 2, 13. We're talking about receiving the word with a good heart. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Now, it's interesting. You, you see really two sides of the same coin. In one place, you say, I'm not going to believe it just because you said it. I want to see it in the Bible for myself. But then after you do see it in the Bible for yourself, even though that word may have been delivered through a man, that's not the word of a man. Even though that word may have been preached or talked to you through a man or through a woman, through a human being, that is not of human origin. You realize that the word of God is of divine origin. You realize that the, the gospel is of divine origin. This is not something Pastor John came up with or any other pastor came up with. This is the voice of God, the very word. If God had you in his living room and was wanting to tell you something, this is what he'd be telling you. Hallelujah. So therefore, even though it's delivered through a human channel, you're not receiving it as something that old Joe said. No, you recognize the words of divine origin and you treat it as such. That's hearing with a good heart. And we'll go ahead and wrap it up right here. Acts 16, verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Wow. What does that say about worship? 
that worship. Because this is no coincidence. This, this is directly connected. It's not a coincidence that the Lord could open the heart of a worshiper. Come on now. That is not coincidence. That's not a, a detail that God put in there and said, well, I don't know why I'm going to put that in there. I'll just do it. No, God's very intentional. A worshiper was one that the Lord was able to open her heart to heed or to listen to the things spoken by Paul. So I got to tell you, does that motivate you to be a worshiper? Especially when we think in terms of even the, the, the typical order of our service. And I'm not saying that, you know, that, that the, the exact order of service is ordained by God. And if it varies in any way, then it's not God. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that when you come in worshiping, when you enter his gates with thanksgiving, and then you enter his courts with praise, and then you go a little deeper and go into the holy place, go into that moment of intimacy and worship. What are you doing? You are setting yourself up where the Lord can open your heart to be able to hear things that you need to hear. Wow. Come on. And you know what? You can have a house full of people all hearing the same message. And it's interesting because I can guarantee you people that entered into worship are in a place of openness to God. In, in, in a place of receptivity that others who did not enter into worship, they're, they're not at that same point. It's not that God's desire or will has changed, but, but there, he, he can do more for you with your cooperation. His will is for everybody to get it. His will is for everybody to go ahead and hook onto it and take it and run with it. But I, when we cooperate with him, we're allowing him to do what he'd really like to do. When we cooperate with him, when we worship him, when we're putting ourselves in a position to, as we're talking about, maximize our fruitfulness, then he can go ahead and team together with us. And glory to God, we can experience glorious and wonderful things, not just in the context of that service, but also in the context of your everyday life with him. Amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah. Go ahead and stand up with me. Let's give God some praise tonight. Hallelujah. Go ahead and give the, give the Lord a shout of praise in the house right now where you are. Lift your hands to him. Thank you, Lord. We honor you and give you glory. Oh, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. We worship you tonight. Hallelujah. We honor you tonight. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lord, may we have a, a whole new approach. Understanding the importance of the soil being ready so the seed can get planted and produce maximum fruit. Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Lord. You know, tonight before we go, if you're here or if you're watching by live stream and you've never